Give up your rights, your rights, if the needs of the kingdom or the needs of your brother or sister require that. You may be like, no, I'm right, and I have rights here and whatever. There may be a time to give those rights up for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, and this is another Contemplate podcast. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Great to have you listening as we bring you part two of Contentment in Christ. We're in Acts chapter 15 today, talking about resolving conflicts. And here the elders and apostles are sending a letter to the church in Antioch. And in verse 28 and 29 it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Let's find out what this means. Here's Pastor David with today's lesson, recorded live at Acts Church. He is not relating these things to salvation. Okay, that question is settled. That question is settled. Peter said, it's by grace. That's done. Now what he's doing is he's saying, obviously we're telling them they don't have to get circumcised, but let's give them some instructions on how to live. What was circumcision about? Separating people unto God, a covenant, right? Now he's saying, let's at least show them how to live separate from the pagans that they're around. So all four of these things are actually related to idolatry and the pagan idol worship practices that were going on. Let's look through them, okay? Um, The first one just says, don't do anything, but you know, don't deal with anything polluted by idols. Okay, that's a catch-all. Stay away from anything polluted by idols. Then we get more specific, sexual morality. Now you may think, what does that have to do with idols? Well, here's the deal. There were all kinds of illicit sexual practices that were going on in the pagan world related to the worship of idols. So that's that. Now it also meant more than that. They also meant sexual morality, any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, okay? The word porneia, the Greek word porneia was used, and that's a catch-all for anything mental, physical that happens sexually that is outside of marriage, okay? So he's saying, yes, the sexuality as, as to the idols, but also there was a lot of sexuality, sexual morality that was going on in the pagan world. He wanted to stay away from all of that because it would separate them if they wouldn't take part in those practices, okay? Now, the next thing that they talk about, the last two, is this. It's, it's strangled or choked animals and blood. Now, this is, these are both connected to the way that sacrifices were prepared for pagan idols. And they considered this to be a demonic practice, that these things are basically prepared for demons. And so they said, stay away from that stuff. Stay away from these things. These are polluted by idols. So all of these things that they're talking about are connected to how these people were to live to be separated from, clearly separated from those around them so that it was clear they were in Christ. They were not things that were given for salvation. Believe in Jesus and do these things and you'll be saved. That wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. It was stay away from these practices because in their cultural moment at that time, these practices, if not by not doing these things, they would have separated themselves from those who did. And they were evil practices, right? So next verse, 1521. 
For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Okay. There's no question here, by the way, about whether the law, the scripture, is valuable. Okay, there's no question about that. The principles that we understand by studying scripture, that we understand the law as a mirror pointing us, showing us who we are and, and, and drawing us to Christ, this is all important. All of these things are important. But of course, the law by itself is not leading anyone to salvation without Christ. And he's saying, look, Moses has got his people. Every single Sabbath, in every single city, they're talking about Moses and the law, okay? That's not, gonna, that's not going away. We want to talk about grace through faith, right? That's what he's saying. All right, let's read verses 22 through 29. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Oops. They weren't supposed to be up there doing that. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Seem good to the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're saying, this is that testimony that you heard. The Holy Spirit showed that that wasn't necessary. And so for, they, they agreed with the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing to do. Um, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, or from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. All right. So here's this letter. It's prepared. It's going to go to the Gentile believers. That's who it's written to. So that they can, so their minds can be eased about these things that they've been taught about the Jewish law and circumcision and so on. So, 300 miles back to Antioch, right, with this news. And we'll look at verses 30 and 31. It says this, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. All right, so they get the church together, the whole church, and they're pretty happy about what this says. Remember, these people are, are wondering, because there's this big dispute, are we going to have to get circumcised and follow all these laws? This letter is really good news to them. You aren't going to have to do all of these things. That's not the important part. Your belief in Jesus Christ, your faith in him, it's by grace that you're saved through that faith, through Jesus Christ, right? Big deal, big deal. Okay, next four verses through 35. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Okay. So, this matter is closed. 
It's been resolved amicably, right? Some of these guys who were sent up there, headed the 300 miles back, some of the guys, including Silas, at least Silas, stayed there. And what did they do? They got back to preaching and teaching the word. They got back to what they were doing. This, this issue had been settled. And here they go. They're preaching along with others. Now, we're going to get into dispute number two. Okay? And we're going to walk through this one real quick. It's shorter. This is uh, verses 36 through 41. I'm just going to read the whole thing and then we'll work with it. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, so we have our second contention here. Paul says to Barnabas, hey man, remember that missionary journey we just spent a couple years doing? Let's go back and visit these folks again. Let's go back and do that. And Barnabas is like, yeah, it's a great idea. I want to take Mark. I want to take Mark with us. But Paul doesn't want to take Mark because as you may remember, if you were here when we talked about this, Mark had come along on the first journey and he had abandoned them, right? He got, he got cold feet, he got scared, he was homesick, missed mama, whatever the case was, Mark headed back. And so Paul is thinking, I don't want to take this guy with us. He's already failed at this very thing one time. Let's not take him again. This dispute becomes so sharp that it's resolved by Barnabas taking Mark and going to Cyprus and Paul getting with Silas and heading to Syria and Cilicia, okay? We won't hear from Barnabas again in the book of Acts. Never hear of him again. That's the end of Barnabas for, for us, okay? So let's, let's look through these, these two disputes and let's, let's think about this. We said there are prescriptive principles here for disputes in the church. Let's look at the two disputes we just read about, okay? The first one is this dispute over circumcision. The dispute over circumcision, um, a couple of things about the way that they went through it. So they, get, they have this huge contentious dispute. And the first thing they do is they realize it's not going to be resolved. So they decide to take it to the apostles and the elders. Okay. The next thing that happened was the church at Antioch also agreed that that's where it should go and sent them to the apostles and elders. Okay. When it came to the apostles and elders, they used testimony about what the Holy Spirit had done and shown them, and reason, to reason through that testimony. Then, the apostles and elders relied on Scripture to make a decision resolving the dispute. Okay? These are the characteristics of how this was solved. First, they recognize the structure of the church and the authority that the apostles and elders had to resolve disputes like this. Okay? So we, we understand, we've walked through this before, that all the authority is Christ's, right? What does he tell us at the end of Matthew? All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples. So Christ has the authority and he delegates his authority, not ours, to certain people who he chooses and sets aside to fulfill certain roles, right? These guys understood that. 
Jesus had appointed the original apostles. They appointed elders and so on. All the way down to today, thousands of years later, the same authority has been flowing through the church all this time. Okay? Now, they understood that properly used, that authority derives from Christ. And so they knew that the people to resolve this dispute were going to be these elders and apostles. Remember, there were requirements for these people. There were requirements. They have, they have to be qualified, okay? If you go and look at 1 Timothy 3, if you want to take a look at that, or the first chapter of Titus, you will see all the requirements that are there for someone to be an elder, overseer, etc. okay? But here's the thing. It was dependent on Scripture for the decision-making, okay? So not only do you have to have be qualified, not only do you have to have this authority that's granted, but you also, whatever you do, has to be consistent with Scripture, okay? Because both those who were teaching circumcision and Paul and Barnabas submitted to the authority of the apostles and elders, and because the apostles and elders based their decision on the work of the Holy Spirit and on Scripture, the dispute was resolved amicably, right? One side won, one side turned out to be right, the other side turned out to be wrong, and yet we read that they were in one accord in the letter, right? What does one accord mean? Moving along in unison, right? Rushing forward in unison. They were united. At the end of this thing, because they understood the way it worked, that these people had the authority to answer the question, that so long as they did so, by connecting it to Scripture, they were going to agree with it, they did this, and this incredibly divisive, contentious thing was able to be resolved. Could this have completely destroyed and split the church at this early, at this early time in the church? Yes, it could have. It could have been, okay, we're going this way, you're going this way, and, and, and the church could have, instead of being united, been divided, but instead, because they went through this process properly, they were able to resolve it amicably. Everyone was able to deal with one another. They were in one accord. This is our model for solving these kinds of disputes, okay? This is our model. So, that's that dispute. Let's look at dispute number two, the dispute between Paul and Barnabas. This was a different kind of dispute. This wasn't a theological dispute. This was a dispute based in strategy. Both Paul and Barnabas wanted to do something good, right? They wanted to proclaim the gospel. They wanted to encourage the churches. They wanted to do these things, but they disagreed on how it should be done. They disagreed. So we do not get a lot of information here on all that went on related to this dispute. But I'm going to give you kind of two big theories, okay, about the nature of this dispute between Paul and Barnabas. Okay. The first theory is this. Paul was right and Barnabas is wrong. That's the first one. Paul is right and Barnabas is wrong. Uh, there's no, by the way, theory where Barnabas is right and Paul is wrong. I'll talk about the other one, but it's not that. The first one is that Paul was right and that Barnabas is wrong. And the evidence for that is that Paul went on to be tremendously used by the Lord. We're going to read all about this next missionary journey that goes on with Silas. He and Silas were also, here in the passage, commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Okay, so we know that the church committed them. We don't hear that. We just hear that Barnabas took Mark and took off right? But we hear that they were commended by the, by the brethren there to go out and do this, and we know that their, that their missionary dream was successful. Meanwhile, we never hear from Barnabas in the book of Acts again. In fact, we never hear from Barnabas in the Bible again. There's some stuff in Galatians about something that happened prior to this 
At least that's my opinion when this stuff in Galatians 2 happened. And then there's one mention of Barnabas in 1 Corinthians it's late, that was from later on where it's clear that Paul and Barnabas are not fighting anymore. But they, here's one mention of him, but there's nothing, okay? So that's the evidence of those people. Paul was right. Barnabas was wrong. Barnabas should have done what Paul said. That's the end of that, okay? That's, that's the first one. The second one is this. Neither one of them was right or wrong, and they acted according to their giftings. They acted according to their gifts, okay? Here, here are the evidences for that view. The solution to the problem was not mutually exclusive, which is to say they were able to split up and both go do good. They were able to both go do effective ministry, and so that's what they decided to do. We see that later on, we know that Mark was used of the Lord, wrote the book of Mark, if you're familiar with the gospel of Mark, um, and was later useful to Paul in his ministry. We know that from Scripture, okay? Um, we also, as I told you, the other time Barnabas is mentioned is positively, suggesting that there was no longer a dispute of any kind, and we never hear about either one of these guys having to apologize or some sort of thing like that, so it's not clear that they were mad at each other when, when they left one another, okay? The Lord used both of these folks effectively, okay? And what I think is kind of the, the, the most persuasive piece of evidence that they had this sharp contention but decided to just go their separate ways and that it was, it was okay, is that no church discipline was used here. Paul did not seek. We just saw what happened when there's a dispute that can't be resolved. They go to the elders. They deal with it that way, right? We don't see that here. Paul didn't seek to have Barnabas undergo some sort of discipline in the church. There's nothing in the text that we have that suggests that, okay? The elders and the apostles were apparently not brought into this dispute. And so there's no indication here either of any kind of like ongoing sin or anything that related to it. So I believe it's possible that what's happened here, I don't have a position that I'm taking. You can take either position, okay? Um, you're free to take. There's no, there's no like hardcore theology on this issue that you have to believe, okay? But we have enough scripture here and in other places to understand what we ought to do when disputes about strategy occur. Okay, and I'm just going to walk through some principles. All of these are from Scripture. I've not given you all the verses because we would run out of time, okay? First thing you do, pray. You have, an, you have a dispute of this kind with somebody, pray, okay? Pray about it. Then seek the guidance of the elders of the church. That's what they're there for. That's their role. They're there to help with, with things like ministry strategy and what God might be calling you to do in ministry. So you go and do that. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And love, let your first thing be love for your brother or sister who you're having a dispute with. Then, think about your needs, but also think about the needs of your brother or sister in Christ. Think about your gifts, and then think about his or her gifts. And see whether or not there isn't a scripturally allowable compromise where you might be able to both, in some way, either compromise or both seek out the ministry goals that you have. And here's the deal. Give up your rights, your rights, if the needs of the kingdom or the needs of your brother or sister require that. You may be like, no, I'm right, and I have rights here and whatever. There may be a time to give those rights up for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel. Now, I don't want to spend much more time on that because we're running out of time. I want to deal with personal disputes, which are the ones that you're most likely to be in on, for some of you, a daily basis. For some of you, it's a little less often than that. Um, but we all get into these, right? Personal disputes, personal disputes. This one is so simple and yet so difficult in my experience as a pastor and especially my experience as a lawyer uh, 
these personal disputes are, it's very hard for people to actually follow what scripture asks us to do with these disputes, okay? First thing, okay, always, always, always. First thing, forbear if you can. If you can forbear, forbear. If you can let it go, let it go. You're having a dispute with somebody and you think to yourself, I can let this go, let it go. Okay, oh, but they'll win. Yeah, if that's the way you wanna look at it, you're probably already in the wrong frame of mind, okay? If you can forbear, let it go. Now, if you cannot forbear and it's a clear sin issue, you can look in, in Matthew chapter 18 and there's a very clear structure for how that works. Very clear structure for how that works, okay? Um, so if you cannot forbear and it's a sin issue, go through Matthew 18. If you cannot forbear and it is not a sin issue, so you have a personal dispute with somebody, it's not necessarily a sin issue, but you also can't forbear it, take it to the church. Let it be judged by the church. This may seem weird. Let's talk about the scripture here that makes this point. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Here we go. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, or is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Now, the principle here is not just if you have a lawsuit, although that's definitely true. Y'all should not be suing each other, okay? It's ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying anybody has a lawsuit against anybody else in the church here, but that's clear. But it would go for anything, we go for anything. You would deal with this issue. You don't deal with it by leaving the church. You don't deal with it by talking behind somebody's back. You don't deal with it by being bitter and angry. If there's something to resolve, guess what? There are some in this body who have the wisdom and experience to judge between you and help you deal with these problems. I know that seems weird, right? It seems like a weird thing because it requires you to be vulnerable and to trust God that he is going to work through the church and the people in the church to provide justice or resolution for you. And it would be very strange. We'd probably be one of the few churches that actually practices this the way it's supposed to be practiced instead of either people getting bitter or leaving the church or having a very public fight or whatever. But the fact is, is that you should say, hey, just like they did here when they said, let's take it to the elders. And the apostles, hey, we need to take this to the church and see if there's someone who has the experience and wisdom to judge this matter between us. We have a dispute. We're clearly not going to let it go. It's clearly bothering me. Let's get this thing settled. Let's get this thing settled, okay? So first, you ask yourself, can I forbear? Second, you recognize your jurisdiction. What is your role and authority in the situation? Is it an issue that Christ has called you to resolve or given you the authority to resolve? Third, is this an issue that you can bring to your brothers and sisters in Christ's church? And if not, say, no, I, wouldn't, I can't bring this to the church. Ask yourself, why not? Is it truly because there's nobody in the church that's wise enough to help you through this dispute with somebody? 
Or is it because you aren't really trusting God that he's put in this church those that can help you through this? Okay? Now, as I said, this letter that they sent out, when they sent it out to the Gentiles, it says they were of one accord. That is an amazing thing when you think about how serious these disputes were. They were unified. They were unified even though they had a dispute. And if we do things according to the way that Christ designed the church to work, even in the sharpest of disputes, in the biggest uproar, we can remain unified. If we operate according to these principles that he's given us, the church will have disputes. The church will have disputes. Let's love Jesus and each other enough to resolve them in the way that he has called us and taught us to resolve them. You've been listening to Contemplate with Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. This has been part two in our series called Contentment in Christ. I really like what Pastor David said today about letting go. So often when we have some kind of struggle, letting it go can be the toughest thing, but so often the right thing. Now, if you'd like to hear Pastor David in person, we'd love to have you come see us here at Axe Church. You can find directions and all the info you need at axecamus.org. That's axecamus.org. Or give us a call at 360-885-9000. That's 360-885-9000. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for being here today. I do hope you'll come to Axe Church this Sunday and that you'll click play on the next podcast episode for more with our teacher, Pastor David Robinson, here on Contemplate.